0: The following podcast contains barnyard language and some adult content. So maybe listen on headphones if you're at work or around small children. Now, here's the show Hey, Jalenta. Hey, Kristen. It has been one week since we lived by the gifts of imperfection. And you know what that means. It's time for another Buy the Book mini episode.
2: Your life is going down the drain. You're in so much pain. You need some help. Ooh, self-help. Buy the book, buy the book, buy the book, buy the book, buy the book.
0: That's right. It's time for another buy the epilogue on The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. But before we get to that, we just want to make a few announcements. First, we hope that everyone out there is doing okay,
2: that you're practicing responsible social distancing in this era of COVID-19. And as you guys probably know at this point, that means staying at home as much as possible, not having social gatherings, only going out for groceries, the pharmacy, necessities. And when you're out, try to stay at least six feet away from all people. That's two meters if you're into the metric system.
0: Yes. And we do obviously understand that not everybody can practice social distancing in equal measure because some of you are essential workers out there. And if you are,
1: Huge thank
0: you to all of you who are essential workers, who are keeping the grocery stores running, who are working in medical care, who are working in transportation and sanitation, and all of the other things that, you know, you're pretty much keeping society going right now. So thank you, all of you who are doing that.
2: And also, we just wanted to remind you, we're here for you. We have our other show, We Love You and So Can You, that just put out an episode that includes stories of COVID-19 and how to cope at home. We have our By the Book Facebook community, which is overflowing with tips and positivity like animal pictures. We have people talking about everything from working at home to stir craziness to what to do with their children. And our social media feeds are filled with inside looks at our daily lives during COVID 19. You can follow us on Twitter at Jalenta G, at Kristen Meinzer and at By the Book Pod. And check us out on Instagram. We're trying to put out fun, entertaining stuff for you at Jalenta G, at K10 Mindser, or at By the
0: Book Pod. And of course, Jalenta, we wouldn't be able to do this episode without some very brief apologies to all of you out there. We are so sorry we had to cancel our How to Be Fine book launch party at The Strand less than a week before the event. We know a lot of you were coming in, not just from different parts of New York, but from other states around the country to go to this event. And we are so sorry that that wasn't able to happen. But of course, it was the right thing to do. Huge thank you to everybody for your well wishes. Thank you for your understanding. And enormous thanks to everyone who's already bought How to Be Fine. Thank you.
2: Yeah, thanks. All right, let's get back to business, though. We have Gifts of Imperfection to talk about, and there are a lot of you out there who have many, many thoughts about this book. But before we get to what you have to say, we are once again putting the book into historical context with the help of historian Trish Travis.
0: Yes. Reminder, Professor Travis is a 20th century U.S. cultural and literary historian with a focus on gender and popular culture. Her subspecialties are the history of medicine with a focus on therapy, addiction, and recovery, and of course, self-help, which makes her perfect for us. Welcome back, Professor Travis. Hello.
2: Professor Travis, we're so excited to talk to you about The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. Thank you so much. I'm excited to talk about it, too. First and foremost, I guess, you know, even though we recently lived through it, can you give us some historical context for this book?
3: So this book is sort of a mashup, distillation of a decade's worth of trends and self-help. It's kind of some feminism light, some recovery movement, spirituality and gratitude, some new old-fashioned positive thinking, and a little bit of the law of attraction mixed in. Ugh. These are all older ideas. You guys have talked about them on multiple uh, shows, not just in this, uh, this season, but in other seasons in the past. They almost all originated uh, in the late 19th century during a chaotic and volatile economic time. They're remixed and given new voice during the Great Depression, when the recovery movement and AA started and when this season started with uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. They reappear in the 2000s, a volatile economic time that follows hard on the chaotic 90s that we talked about in the last episode. It's a time where magical thinking is perfectly appropriate Mm. for the new gig economy that we're all working in. Mm -hmm. That set of ideas is old, but some exciting new gloss had been given to them uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s. And here I'm going to invoke a name that has been missing from our season so far, but we can't close out the season without talking about it. And that's right, I'm talking about Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, Kristen is.
2: Kristen was silently uh, like jumping up and down in her seat, making her hands into an O just now,
0: being like, "She's going to talk, <laughs> talk, talk about. She's going to talk about. The, the she's going to talk about the O. She's
3: going to talk about the O. Go on. So we can't talk about Brene Brown without talking about Oprah. Because Brene Brown's content, and I think you all sort of gestured to this at the end of the episode, Brene Brown's content is pretty familiar. It's kind of Oprah content, slightly repackaged and remixed. It's not her content that makes Brown into the key figure for the 2000s. It's the fact that she glommed onto two important things about the decade that allowed her to sort of become an Oprah 2.0. This is my two words about Brene Brown. The first one is science. Okay. Brown does something that Oprah never did, which is to lay claim to her insights as Mm science-based. She establishes credibility for herself on the first page of Gifts of Imperfection. And I'm going to read just a short paragraph here. One reason it's impossible to unsee trends is that our minds are engineered to seek out patterns and assign meaning to them. Humans are a meaning-making species. And for better or worse, my mind is actually fine-tuned to do this. I spent years training for it, and now it's how I make my living. As a researcher, I observe human behavior so I can identify and name the subtle connection, relationships, and patterns that help us make meaning of our thoughts, behaviors, and feelings. And she then goes on for a number of other paragraphs in which the word researcher appears in almost every paragraph. Mm. If you Google Brene Brown, almost every hit that comes up at the top of your list will name her as a researcher. She has tagged herself as a science based self help author in a way that really distances her from Oprah and really ties her in to the sort of meaning-making structure that was coming into being in the 2000s as the transformation of the economy and society by science and technological innovation takes over and begins to reshape our lives and the way that we're thinking. Self-help market share in this decade it starts to sway towards behavioral economics, cognitive psychology, Mm. and neuroscience. As we look to science as the explanation for everything that gives us jobs and everything that motivates us to do those jobs. So you can think about Daniel Goleman's Emotional Intelligence, published in 95, Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point in 2000, Freakonomics, 2005, Gretchen Rubin's The Happiness Mm. Project in 2009. All of these books are working to quantify, schematize, empiricize, and control feelings and behavior. Brown's actual background and her core values don't really allow for this. She comes out of the recovery community, yeah. which is a deeply mm-hmm. anti-scientific community. She's trained as a social
0: that's worker, what I not a psychologist. And her book is actually published, published by, by Hazleton, Hazleton, which is a recovery... Exactly.
3: Yes. So that's one of the things that's really interesting about it, is that she's giving basically a recovery message coming out of a recovery publishing house. And many people in the 12-step world find her annoying, verging on offensive because of the way she repackages recovery content without Mm. really giving much credit to the 12-step movement itself. What's interesting to me is that her move to tag what she does as science helps us understand sort of what the stakes are for the world in which she's working. She needs to develop legitimacy as a researcher and a scientist in order to differentiate herself from Oprah, who's spiritual and therefore not really in sync with where our economy is in the 2000s. Everything in our economy, everything in our day-to-day lives is driven by data, driven by science, driven by the latest technology, and by efficiency, quantitative, and measurement. She's trending towards Fitbit life, basically, where everything about you can be measured and Mm. quantified and improved based on the data.
0: And yet, is it just me or does a lot of the data come across as malarkey personal experience or um, her own interpretation of things?
3: So this is a great question. Um, And I call on Brene Brown right now to release her data She claims in Braving the Wilderness, her 2019 book, that she has collected 200,000-plus pieces of data and that this data is what informs her findings about shame, vulnerability, self-compassion, and stuff like that. She's never published a peer-reviewed article uh, about this, and in the Academy, that would be the place where she would discuss her hypotheses, disclose her methods of data collection talk about her control groups, explain her sample sizes, and sort of run through what her methodology is. So there's a weird tension in her books between these claims about the research that backs her findings and the presentation of what are really quite journalistic examples of people living the wholehearted life and living the shame and living the vulnerability. So... I, as an academic researcher, who uh, I'm a qualitative researcher and a humanities researcher, not a social scientist, so I Mm -hmm. don't do work that is akin to what Brown claims that she does. But I see my colleagues who do, and I see the rigor that they bring to their scientific analysis of what people say about life. I don't see that in Brown's work. That's not necessarily – it doesn't necessarily undermine the legitimacy of many of her findings, I think. Mm -hmm. But it does raise the question for me of why does she need to present this as science? Why does she need to present herself as a researcher? And I think a lot of the reasons she needs to do that is because of the tenor of the times of the 2000s. She had published uh, another book um, prior to The Gifts of Imperfection. That was sort of a revision of her dissertation uh, called Women and Shame. That was a somewhat more academic book in the way that it drew on feminist theory, on sort of existing ideas within psychology about vulnerability um, and, the re- and recovery. But something happened uh, in the early 2000s that led her to leave that work behind and to start to embrace the work she was doing in The Gifts of Imperfection instead. That leads me to my second word to understand Brene Brown, Mm -hmm. and that word is platform. Mm. So Oprah Winfrey is important for understanding Brown's substance, but she's important for understanding um, more than just that. We need Winfrey to help with the 21st century specificity of Brown that has to do with what's made her successful, which is... Her ideas, to a certain extent, sure, but is really her unusual ability to disseminate those ideas. Mm. So I talked in the first episode about change in book culture and book, the book publishing industry, Yeah, um, the communications form. The paperback was a new thing in the 1930s, and how to win friends and influence people's success as a paperback is one of the things that made it into such a huge deal. Brown comes onto the self-help scene at another transitional moment, a moment in which the United States media economy is Mm. transitioning away from books as the most respected communications forum. Oprah Winfrey's the groundbreaker here. She started her TV show in 1986. Um, And she started her own production company in 1986 as well. Go
2: Harper. That
3: led in the early 1990s to a short-lived partnership with uh, America Online, where she had her own sort of website embedded within AOL. Yes. Then in 1998, to the founding of Oprah.com, she became a partner in Oxygen Media, um, and then the Oprah Magazine in 2001. All building a a stable of products that would build and disseminate the Oprah brand. But Oprah's products are all still within traditional media, TV show, TV network, website, um, web production company, print magazine. There's web content, but it's kind of static, and the website reads kind of like a magazine. This is sort of a, a moment where the traditional media corporations are experimenting with what comes new, but it's still a bunch of old people running the companies, and so there's really not a lot of insight into like what we could do with new technology. Brown narrates at length in Rising Strong, her third big bestseller, that her book was rejected by trade publishers she got a oh, yeah. uh, like a writing coach to help her spruce it up some still didn't work she ended up self-publishing it in a very early ebook platform and uh, selling it hand to hand at workshops that she ran around the country that was women in shame published in 2004 so, That happens right around the same time that she sort of leaves her job as a researcher at the University of Houston and gets a more of a courtesy title. She retains the title of professor at the University of Houston, but she left the tenure track, the track in which you have to publish your research in peer-reviewed journals in order to get promoted. Mm -hmm. And she began working in a somewhat different area— an academic adjacent area of self-help, which Gifts of Imperfection is an example of. She's a smart woman, and she realized that she could continue self-publishing her book and selling it hand-to-hand, or she could take advantage of some new media tools that were coming around, because the new communications economy, of which this podcast is a perfect example, is starting to come online in the early 2000s. The blogger platform was established in 1999, WordPress, a more sophisticated version of a blogging tool, came on in 2003. The TED conferences, which are this new way of disseminating audiovisual content and ideas that would have been found once in the New York Times Magazine or the Atlantic or someplace like that, now it's a visual presentation of complex and exciting ideas. Those become a live thing you can find online in 2006. 2006 also brings us Facebook and Twitter. And Brown comes into this new media environment with a blog in 2007, then with Gifts of Imperfection in 2010. And the book is really almost a sort of necessary evil to get her to the next stage, which is her breakthrough TED Talk in 2013. So Brene Brown is able to take this set of existing ideas about self-love, self-compassion, recovery, gratitude, and forgiveness, and remix them in a way that hits just right in this new media environment. And what's amazing about that is not just that it gets her ideas out there to more and more people, but that the ability to participate in this new media environment solves the economic problem that was set up in Who Moved My Cheese that we talked about last week. Mm. She's not just a self-help author. She's a fucking entrepreneur and Mm. thought leader, something that you can become as a way of escaping the cheese insecurity of the contemporary labor market and something that is made possible by access to new tools of social communication and social media. So Brene Brown is interesting to us a little bit for her content, but more for the way her performance and presentation and marketing of herself answers the problem of labor insecurity that was brought up in the previous decade, a problem that she herself had to reckon with and that she solved by capitalizing on a new technology in the way that we're all supposed to be capitalizing on new technology Mm -hmm. to get over our insecurity in the contemporary job market.
0: Mine Professor, has been blown so hard. Professor Travis, I don't even... <laughs> wow. I have no words. Yes, both of our mouths are wide open. We're We're just in awe. You are so good. Seriously, it makes so so much
2: sense as to why I feel like I encountered a lot of these ideas, but it was still fresh
0: somehow. Whereas Mm -hmm. for me, they felt dated, remember? I I, I felt like, I've heard this a million times before. Why do I feel like I've heard this all before? Even though she's saying it's new. Yeah, and it makes sense based on what you're saying, Mm -hmm. Professor Travis. Like, of course it sounds like I've heard all this before, because a lot of this is
2: rehashing of other things. And really, there's so many other things about her that make her so appealing and, like, aspirational to us.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah, and I think that you don't see that so much in Gifts of Imperfection because it really is a place where she's, I think, having read her earlier books, she got the message from someone that, like, you need to get rid of all of your academic jargon. Mm. She completely removes the earlier feminist critique that she mm, has of scarcity culture and cool um and all of the things that she sees as limiting our ability to live wholeheartedly. Everything is pared down. Things are much simpler. There's 10 steps. There's no questions about power. Um, mm-hmm. I think that this book is sort of a working out of what her brand message will be.
2: Oh, wow. She yeah. then
3: has a series of opportunities to develop that message within the new media space. And in part because the message is classic and resonates with a lot of people, and she presents it relatively well, and she's also kind of funny and self-mocking and stuff, she hits really big with the TED Talk in 2013. That's what then sets her up to actually go back into the old economy and write books that will be bestsellers. But the books are just sort of incidental because now she's not just a series of blog posts and TED Talks. She's a thought
0: leader. And that means consulting gigs and being a corporate entrepreneur. And making appearances on Netflix specials and mm-hmm. having her own Netflix series and being a celebrity. And, more and doing a cameo
2: else. on Wine Country. Yes, all of those <laughs> things.
3: And having a training curriculum that. That, um, you can, that therapists can get credentialed in and having a, having
0: a toolkit for HR people to use. Yeah. She turned herself into a brand, which um, makes so much sense after mm-hmm. all the context you gave us, that she is essentially the brand that everybody now in our era aims to become. Wow, right. that's so a brand. good.
3: And I think that she is a brand of thinking about the self and a brand of operationalizing the self as a commodity. Mm. I see the work that you all are doing and the work that it seems like people in the Facebook community are doing, and I'm just astonished at the constant hustle, the constant sense of um, impending danger, the the sense of menace in the world around, not of bad people who are, you know, not of crime, but of economic insecurity. And Brene Brown gives you a way of thinking that will make you feel less bad about economic insecurity. Just don't believe in scarcity. There is no (laughs) scarcity. And at the same time, she models a kind of operationalizing and commoditizing of the self, which is what you all have to do as part of your jobs. You're selling your personalities, you're selling your skills in a sort of constant ongoing way, and you're really dependent on the vicissitudes of the market to be interested in buying the commodity that is yourself. And Brown shows what that looks like when it wins. It's kind of unfortunate that that's a a high risk way to
0: live what a perfect way to wrap that up. That was so great, Professor Travis. Thank you so much for putting our final book of the season into context. But for everybody listening, don't worry, Professor Travis is still going to be joining us in a couple of weeks for a history wrap-up. So this is not the end. This is not goodbye professor travis it is okay see you soon let's never say goodbye let's never Never. say goodbye you're stuck with us you're
2: like our fairy godmother now and by the books yes stuck
0: (laughs) with us we'll talk to you again soon (laughs) okay that sounds great see you soon y'all bye-bye bye all right we're gonna take a quick break but stay with us when we're back we'll hear from all of you out there who wrote in this week about the gifts of imperfection And we are back with listener responses to The Gifts of Imperfection. And first and foremost, a lot of you out there are Brene Brown superfans. Let's hear from some of you.
2: Uh, I want to start with people who love the book and Brene and how this information's helped them. And this anonymous voicemail is pretty, pretty interesting.
1: Hi. I was so excited to see that you were doing, or hear that you were doing um, The Gift of Imperfection. I um, love this book. It came into my life during a very difficult time. Um, I had recently been divorced after my husband of 10 years came out to me and told me he was gay. Um, and I was newly a single parent, and I was dealing with a shocking amount of victim-blaming Um from people in my life when they learned about the circumstances of my divorce, um, the most common reaction, which was incredibly hurtful, was how did you not know. Um, so after reading this book, I just felt like I was going through life and I was always being judged and I had this armor on. And reading this book completely changed my life. I realized I was carrying around a lot of shame for the reasons for my divorce. And there's no reason to feel shame about that. And um, I was really distancing myself from everybody in my life during a time when I really needed support. Sorry it wasn't as life-changing for you, but this book is still a book that I go back to whenever I'm having a hard time in my life.
0: I mean, to say it sounds incredibly tough is such an understatement. We're so sorry. I can't imagine.
2: And yes, the amount of shame wrapped up in divorce. I'm learning this just from watching my mom. It's fascinating and horrible. But like definitely, at least from what I've seen, uh, the woman tends to get blamed a lot for leaving. You know, my dad made a whoopsie and my mom peaced out and she got so much flack from people, even though she was horribly deceived by a life partner. And it's it's um so weird to see how people's views of you shift and then how to deal with that while your life's getting upended. Like, damn, I'm yeah. glad this book helped.
0: Yeah, and I mean, add to that. Stories of sexual orientation. Mm. And I mean, there's shame around how our society deals with that, too. It's just like there so are much so shame. many. Yeah, there's so many things there that society wants to shame us for, our culture, other people. So we're really glad the book helped you. I mean, just because it wasn't the most earth shattering book for me doesn't mean that I don't want it to be beneficial for others. So I'm glad yeah. it helped you. Um, Patricia has this to say. I am a self admitted Brene Brown fan and have read all of her books and devoured everything she has put out. I found this book at a moment in my life where I needed it as a queer person of color. I live my life fighting systems that constantly throw supposed tos and ideals my way. Most of the time, I fight to just be who I am, but I needed the support to even take the time to discover who that was. Brene Brown's wisdom not only unlocked the key to loving myself, but helped me to accept that I am enough as I am. I even got I am enough tattooed on my arm as an everyday reminder and am constantly stopped by people close to tears when they read it and say how beautiful that sentiment is and how much they needed to be reminded of that.
2: Love it. You know I love a tattoo excuse anyway, so I'm always on board.
0: <laughs> and again, we're so happy this book helped you through totally. what you needed help with. I mean, Lenta and I are never here to prescribe do this, don't do that, read this, don't read that, but we will say vocally if a book helps us or doesn't help us, but if it helps you out there, we're not going to ever Mm-mm, say that's wrong. Neither.
2: Interesting little note from a listener named Sarah who thinks we may not have made the best book choice. Oh, yes. Uh, Sarah says... I think that The Gifts of Imperfection isn't Brene's best book. She can be a little repetitive in her writing, but I think that Daring Greatly is so much better. I've read all her books, listened to all her audio materials, and it's the best out of the bunch.
0: Oh, Sarah, you're not alone. Do you know how many people wrote in this week and said that? There were so many comments
2: about, like, should have done Daring Greatly. Should have done anything but that one. Like, Yeah. But The Gifts of
0: Imperfection is the one that is, I think. It was
2: just the one that is like mainly on the map, even though they are all very much on the map. Yeah.
0: And it was the Brene Brown book that had the most requests from listeners over the course of the years on this show. Um,
2: You guys all just changed your mind when Daring Greatly came out, (laughs) didn't you?
0: (laughs) All right. Well, switching gears, shall we talk about bragging a little bit?
2: Yes, bragging. If you recall, in last week's episode, Kristen realized she doesn't brag about herself to her friends very much, and they I want. I do it her on to. social media. <laughs> You're starting to, but you also like don't call up a friend and go like, "Hey, I wrote another book." Like they had to find out on social yes, media. Yes, yes, that's, that's true. weird.
0: That's true. That's true. Right.
2: So Angie wrote in with her thoughts on bragging and says. The Gifts of Imperfection episode is excellent. I'm not even through it yet, but had to address the bragging issue. I believe friends have bragging rights. I brag about my friend's accomplishments all the time. It's my accomplishment to have a friend that accomplished that. Think of it as synergy. You're happy, then they're happy, so things are likely to go better for them as well. Brag it up, ladies.
0: Yes. I yes. love this. That is a good message. Also, I don't even know if it's called bragging. It's celebrating good things in our lives, right? Totally. Yeah. Totally. I'm always happy when people I love are doing good things. So I true. hope I hope everyone else out there is too. Yeah.
2: I love to brag about a friend. My poor therapist knows all of my friend's accomplishments because anytime she brings up something and, like, my friend worked on that, my friend is directing something similar. Like, <laughs> all I want to do is brag about you guys.
0: You know what I want to brag about, Jolinda? What? <laughs> I want to I brag about your tap dancing. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk more about you and your kick ass tap dancing. Um, several people wrote in about it. Aline and Aline, sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, she says, In the last episode, Jolenta mentioned getting some tap dance shoes, and it sounded like she was having so much fun tapping around her home. I started tapping a couple years ago after just a year or two as a young child. I can't go to class right now because of COVID-19, but I've been practicing at home. Jolenta, are you still tap dancing? What else do you both enjoy doing that you found a way to do during shelter in place?
2: Yes, I am still tap dancing. I practice on a yoga mat. It is great. Also, I feel like I must be some sort of sick fuck because I'm doing so much during this quarantine. Oh, I'm thriving! Like I'm living at home. Um, I'm finally finishing up the blanket I've been crocheting for I don't know how many years now. Since we started this show, since before we started this show,
1: that's been a, <laughs> in
2: a corner. I'm working on the edging finally, which means like I'm fin- I'm on the finishing touches. Um, I started embroidery again. I'm getting out my metal working for some jewelry. I'm a monster of craft.
0: Wow. Jalinta, you're going to need to post some photos on social media of that uh, crafting you're doing. The world needs to see that crocheting. Yes, yes, They need to
2: see it. And Kristen, what have you been up to?
0: Um, I've been going completely bonkers because, you know, I'm an extrovert.
2: Yes, yeah. (laughs) I get lots of weird G-chats at weird times. guys, yes. it's bleak over at her house.
0: <laughs> I'm sure Dean is sick of me. but So I'm still working a regular work schedule and that is saving my sanity a lot. I feel incredibly grateful to still have a lot of work on my plate. I am doing scheduled phone dates several times a day. Uh, some That's of those so phone cute. dates include let's both stand in the sunshine at the same time. Let's have you know a moment where we walk up and down the stairs together so we actually feel like we're moving. Uh, I've had uh, virtual happy hours with old coworkers. I have been taking lots of photos of myself being ridiculous just to share on social media yeah. so people can see yeah. what I'm doing. But yeah, I I am not made for this, but every day I'm just reminding myself how lucky I am because how much harder would all of this be without, you know, the internet or Netflix so or true. you know, all the other things that we have in the world right now. So, mostly I'm trying to just be grateful.
2: All right. Kristen, next I would like to talk about you and how you are an amazing, brave, badass shiro of a woman. Thank you oh. for being so open and honest and vulnerable in our last episode.
0: Thank you. Thanks. Um, Joletta, as you know, it took a long time to even want to talk about it, but mm-hmm. I really appreciate how supportive everybody out there has been since I have chosen to. So thank you. Thank you for everyone's support.
2: Yeah, and I want to read some letters of support. Uh, Ezra wrote in to say, I just want to express gratefulness for Kristen's bravery and honesty in the Gifts of Imperfection episode. As a young adult, I really look up to Kristen, and being vulnerable about the trauma one has faced is an amazing achievement that is crucial for us all to learn. Kristen, if you're hearing this, know that you are such an amazing woman.
0: Oh, Ezra, I am hearing this, and my eyes are filled with tears. Yay. It it really means a lot to me. Thank you so much.
2: All right. I want to read you another one. This one is from Morgan, who says, Kristen, thank you so incredibly much for sharing about your abortion. Last year, I also required a surprise abortion, and it truly made me feel like a stranger in my own body. I love you. We all love you. I'm so glad that you have cultivated such a strong tribe.
0: Oh, I'm so glad I have, to. Everybody mm. out there who's written in, I mean, I'm glad that the fact that I had an abortion was not lost on folks out there because, you know, there's different versions of pregnancy loss out there. And I got to say, I am so grateful to live in a world where at least the part of the world that, Jolenta, you and I live in, we have access to abortion if we want or need it. And yeah. um, I'm thankful for that. And what I was going through, from what I understand— if I didn't have access to abortion, I don't know if I would have been healthy right no. now. Yeah. So, I'm I'm really grateful for that and Me whether too. or not it has to do with a woman's health, it's still something everyone should have access to.
2: All right, I want to read one last quick little note from listener Aaron who says, "Please know you're not alone in your struggles and you make such a positive impact on the world. Kristen, your vulnerability is strength. Thank you."
0: Thank you. I think Brene Brown would like that message too. Yeah. All right. She loves that vulnerability thing. I feel like that's similar to her message. Yeah. Thank you, everybody who wrote and called in this week. It meant so much to me. And I also want to thank the people who just pointed out, you know, nobody has to share if they don't want to. Totally. And if you want to share in your own time, in your own space, you can absolutely do that. And it may very likely make you feel better. But if you don't want to, it's also not your duty to, you don't have to. Totally. So, Thank you, everybody. Jolenta, should we move on to your face? Oh, do let's. <laughs> we, we got one. <laughs> My a least lot. favorite topic. No, it's not. It it's is not. my favorite. Oh. Okay. All right. We've gotten a lot of messages for you about your face. And the first here I'm going to read is from Elena. She says, I really appreciate Jolenta's sharing her experience with perioral dermatitis. I have had on and off perioral dermatitis for five years. I completely relate to your feelings of social anxiety and isolation caused by this impossible rash. I am currently seven months pregnant, and the pregnancy caused it to flare up a lot. The normal treatments I use are not recommended during pregnancy. This has forced me to embrace it in a new way and change my narrative around my skin. Hearing you share your story made me feel less alone. Thank you.
2: uh girl, I feel you. And I can't imagine having to give up the treatments I'm on right now, which also would not be recommended during pregnancy. So you are a trooper. And I really like the, you know, a new narrative around my skin. I'm trying to look at my whole body differently. So this this helps.
0: Yeah. I mean, your skin, it's just one more part of you that deserves care, I like to think. but It's just one giant organ, apparently. <laughs> it's our largest organ, yes. I know. <laughs> All right. Tracy has this to say, which I also, though, think is... Fantastic. She says, Jolenta, I have allergic contact dermatitis, and dealing with it totally messed with my mental health and self esteem. There's research showing that people with dermatological issues, especially on their face, rate the lowest on self reported quality of life assessments than people with any other health issue, even heart disease and cancer. Skin problems suck. I know it seems like a silly thing to be so affected by, but it's completely normal. Brene would want you to have compassion for yourself. Yes, Tracy. Yes. yes. Thank you, Tracy. I don't know about you, Lenta, but I agree with us.
2: Yes. I was just thinking about all the medical things I've gone through, and I'm like, this is the one that has affected me in what I feel like is my public-facing life, just like the one that has affected my day-to-day interactions the most in a negative way.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, I I hope it's not going a step too far to say, I feel this pain as somebody who had really, really bad cystic mm. acne for a no, decade totally. and was on three different rounds of Accutane and then continued to take Accutane once to twice a week Oof. until my 30s. I feel that pain. Yeah, I mean, no,
2: you know that pain.
0: Oh, God. And it's not the same as what your pain is. It's a different thing, but it's still like – a major skin disorder that affected my life for a very long time
2: just when anything affects what you consider like your presentation of your personality like it's just really rough to sort of reconcile
0: that it's okay Ugh. i'll deal we're gonna take a quick break yes but when we come back some thoughts on sleeping and criminal minds and as always next week's book
2: All right. We are back, and we have some final thoughts on what you all like to fall asleep to. As you know, uh, in our last episode, I mentioned I love falling asleep while watching Criminal Minds. It soothes my heart. And that resulted in a lot of people on the Facebook community sharing what they're falling asleep to
0: lately. Yes. Courtney says, I totally fall asleep to Law & Order SVU all the time. But... I cannot fall asleep with The Walking Dead on or I will have nightmares. I know it's very disturbing. (laughs) I like how there's a
2: distinction between SVU and Walking Dead. SVU, cozy blankie. Walking Dead, whoa, we've crossed a line there.
0: What's crazy is SVU is kind of ripped from the headlines. So these are actually things that could happen to us. Could happen. Yeah. Walking Dead is zombies, right? Like, can't
2: happen, but (laughs) scary. I mean, could happen. Never know. All right. uh, Sarah says, I fall asleep almost every night to reruns of Friends. I've done this for years, and now I've practically conditioned myself to fall asleep when the I'll be there for you song starts playing.
0: Oh, my God.
2: I love it.
0: I I think I have special feelings for certain old nostalgic show theme songs also. Um, If somebody out there just wants to make a mixtape called Theme Show's Greatest Hits, I will listen to that Facts of Life I want on there. I want Golden Girls on there. Cheers. Oh, I want Chippendale's
2: Rescue Rangers. <laughs> I <laughs> want Tails. Tailspin.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll take it all. If somebody out there wants to make a mixtape of that, I think, Jalanta, you and I would both love that. Oh,
2: and the dinosaurs. That was a good one, too.
0: Mm, I'll even take some Little House on the Prairie. Oh, like also good one. All right. Greg says, I love falling asleep while listening to history podcasts. Truth is, I've learned very little about history from these shows, but I've gained so much in shut-eye. I do that too sometimes. Oh, for sure. For sure. (laughs) The more boring the history, I mean, I love history, but if it's a- Yeah, you're a
2: nerd for history. I love
0: it. But if it's a boring person who doesn't tell you history well, I'm guessing that's the perfect thing to fall asleep to, right?
2: Even more than a crime being committed fictionally. (laughs) I love this one from Mary who says, I used to use Metallica to help me fall asleep. It wasn't something I found weird at all until my college roommate pointed it out.
0: Yeah, that weird, Mary, but I love it. What a bold choice
2: it. to sleep to. I feel like that says a lot about your sleep persona.
0: Well, they do have that one song, Enter Sandman, Exit Light, Enter Night, Take My Hand, We're Off to Never Never Land.
2: Oh no, I think we found a closet Metallica fan up in here. <laughs>
0: Oh, gosh. Well, did Mary, Kristen like to bang her head? All right. Well, on that note, thank you to everybody who wrote and called in this week. So many fantastic responses, as always. You guys are just like the best, the brightest, fire. the we kindest. You. You're the best listeners. We just love you so much. Thank you. Okay. Now it's time, right? Ooh, it is time. It's the time when we announce next week's book. The next book is there is no next book. Ha! We got gotcha. you.
2: We surprised you. Yes. That <laughs> was eight books, guys.
0: End of season yes. six. Yes, that is it. That is it. But don't worry, we're not actually going anywhere. We have a lot of buy the book bonus episodes coming your way. They come out every other week until season seven. And one of them features our very good friend, Professor Trish Travis. So, hey, Professor Travis super fans out there, don't worry, she's coming back.
2: Oh, and she's got so much info for you. Also, you know, if you're going to be missing us, don't forget to check out our book we wrote. It's called How to Be Fine What We Learned from Living by 50 Self Help Books. It's available as an ebook, as a hardcover book. And for those of you who just are not sick of our voices yet, there's an audiobook that we read. It's adorable.
0: Yes. And, of course, listen to our other show, We Love You and So Can You. That season just started this month, and there are so many good guests on it this season. We just love all of our guests this season.
2: And that's it for this mini episode of By the Book. Huge thank you to our fabulous production team at Stitcher, especially during these insane times. You guys are really doing some amazing work and somehow making it so we can work from home so thank you our producer is nora Ritchie. our engineer is andy kristin special thanks to casey holford for helping with this episode as well and of course thanks to chris bannon our chief content officer and daisy rosario our executive producer
0: Thanks again to Professor Trish Travis and to Joshua Mills, who helped us with our interviews with Professor Travis. Thanks also to Nate Weida who composed our theme song, Gerald Arnold, who produced this season's version of the theme song, and of course, our very own Nora Ritchie with those vocal chords of an angel singing the theme song.
2: Don't forget to stay in touch with us. Let us know if you've lived by the gifts of imperfection, if you're friends with Brene Brown, if she's as mind-blowing in person as she is on the TED Talk videos. You know, send us questions, suggestions for books to live by, thoughts on our lives. Our email address is Angelenta at gmail.com, and you can always leave us a voicemail at 302-49-BOOKS. That's 302-492-6657.
0: Also, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps other people find the show. And if you haven't already, tell a friend about the show. Tell somebody who likes tap dancing about the show. Tell somebody who is feeling stir-crazy in their house and needs something happy to listen to about the show. Tell a criminal
2: mind about the show.
0: <laughs> Until next time, I'm Krista Meinzer. And I'm Jalanta Greenberg. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.
2: And the next book is. Oh, God. Nora, I'm sorry. And the next book is. <laughs> that was fucking way worse. <laughs> oh, God. It was
0: terrible. Stitcher. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home.